Well, good morning again. We are still journeying through the Sermon on the Mount. Excited about that. And today we have made it to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, if you want to turn there in your scriptures. Today's sermon is entitled, The Peril of Pride. Let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you and Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that we cherish your word and that we study your word. Father, your word is life. Father, your word is truth. And I pray that as we look at your word in this hour, that you would guide us in the truth, that you would open our minds to understand it and see it clearly, to see you in it clearly, and that you would give us the courage and the wisdom to live by it. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your love for us and for your word that you've given us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4 says this. Jesus is speaking. He said, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. When you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this passage uses, uh, he, Jesus in, in this passage it uses the example of giving to the poor. But I just want to point out that this, what he's teaching here is not about giving. It is about giving. It's about giving to the poor. That that, that is obvious, but he uses that as an example. It's just an example of what he's trying to teach. He's not just trying to teach about giving. It's not that you should just do your giving in secret, that you should just do your giving uh, where other people don't see it. Um, he's teaching about your righteousness, that all of your good deeds, all of the good things that you do for people, you should have this mindset and this heart of trying to do all of your good in secret. Um, now that's not to be taken out of context. Of course, it's important to do good in public as well, but the, the heart of the issue is the heart. That is what's important. Um, he gives us a warning to not be like the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, I'm going to read this real quick, uh, to jump out of the way, but here's an example of the heart issue that he's trying to address how he wants your heart to be, to give in private, to do your good in private. And he compares that to the scribes and Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. He gets a little harsh when talking to them, but this is what he is condemning, and this is the attitude, and this is the heart that we want to make sure we don't have creep up inside of us. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. And so here Jesus is saying, yeah, the scribes and the Pharisees, they'll, they'll sit up in the, in the pulpit, as we would say. Back in the synagogue, it was the chair of Moses, the, the chair that they would teach from. 
He said they will sit in front of you and they will teach God's word. So when they teach God's word and they tell you to abide by God's word, do what they say. Just don't do what they do. Don't live like them because they don't do what they teach. And he goes on. He says they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and they put them on people's shoulders. But they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. And this is obviously different wardrobe than what we're used to today. They used to, men would wear robes and they would have as, as you know, it's kind of like uniforms today. Uniforms have badges and they have medallions and they have different ways to signify to people who they are and what they do. And so if you see an officer come up in a, in a blue uniform and he's got a star on his chest, that is to signify to you anywhere he goes in public, hey, I am an officer of the law. And so this was the same thing that these Pharisees and these religious leaders, they had these special um, wardrobes that they would wear that would signify to everyone that they were the men of the cloth. Kind of like you see um, priests will wear the little white collar around, they'll wear their shirts, but they'll have a little opening right here and they'll have a little white collar to signify to the public wherever they go that I am a man of the cloth, I am a priest. And so it's the same way with, these, with, with them. And so what they would do is they would get in competition with each other. I mean, they wouldn't come out and say that, but that's in essence what it was. And they would just, they would make their tassels and everything just bigger and longer and more elaborate and more expensive. And so they were very proud of who they were. He said they loved the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by people. And rabbi is just a translation of teacher. But you are not to be called rabbi because you have one teacher and you are all brothers and sisters. Do not call anyone on earth your father because you have one father who is in heaven. You are not to be called instructors either because you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so here's the contrast that Jesus is trying to teach that we should not in our hearts exalt ourselves and that word that we use for that is pride. We have, to, we have to extinguish pride in our lives because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The greatest, he said, he said in verse 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. And so that is where God's perspective is. He teaches that what God values is the opposite of what the world values. See, what the world values is, is me being in the place of power and me having people serve me. But what God views honors is the exact opposite. What he values is the exact opposite. He values someone who doesn't have a proud heart, but he values someone who is willing to be a servant to others. And that is God's heart. That he, being God, the creator of the universe, who gave us existence, who gave us life, who put us here, he himself chose to be our servant. He came to earth to serve us. And, and we should never get over that. <clears throat> we should never get over that. We should not take that for granted. We should not think, oh, well, he had to. He didn't have to. He never, 
ever, ever had to do any of the things he did. He didn't have to make us. He didn't have to save us. Even if he made us and we rebelled against him, he did not have to save us. He chose to because he loves us. And so he gives us the perfect example. I mean, it just if I can just take a second and just say the same thing I've been saying for the past two minutes, just one more time, because I just can't get over this. Just the fact that God, God, the creator of all the galaxies, God chose to suffer and die and serve us. I mean, I can't preach on that because I, I don't have words to say about that. It's just I can say it and then I'm speechless. I mean, I just, I mean, I cannot comprehend that he would do that. That he who deserves to be served, he who deserves, I mean, honestly, if we just want to be honest, because that's what we should always be with ourselves, honest with God, honest with each other. If once he made us, and we rebelled and sinned against him, he had every right to enslave us and make us serve him against our will. He had every right to do that. He had every right to hold us to account. To hold us to account and say, you will serve me because I brought you into existence. I made you. I gave you that breath of life you have. I will make you serve me until you appreciate what I, who I am and what I've done for you. He had every right to do that and the power to do it. He could have easily done it. And he chose to take the opposite route. That I'm going to come, I'm going to die, I'm going to serve you instead. I, 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 will ne- I, I pray to God I will never get over that. But God does not value what we value. <clears throat> Here's a, here's a good passage to, 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 to show that. Psalm 147, verses 10 to 11. says, He is not impressed by the strength of a horse. <laughs> and it's funny to think about it. It's just true. You know, God is not impressed by how strong a horse is. Have you, are y'all horse people? Y'all been, I mean, everybody's different. But I am telling you, is, I'm not around horses all the time. I'm not. But every time... I'll go a few months and then I'll come, I'll see one or somebody, uh, whatever I'll encounter. I mean, you can't not encounter them out here. But, you know, time will go by, maybe a year will go by. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm next to a horse and I'm just, wow. That, that beast is huge. He is strong. I mean, it's just amazing how, how big and strong these animals are. And I'm, I am impressed. But God laughs. I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? I'm not impressed by the strength of a horse. Why would I be impressed by your strength? Why? You know, well, I mean, have y'all ever watched these strongman competitions? <laughs> They're impressive to us. But God is not impressed. We, we, we do all these things where we just, we just puff ourselves up and we just think we're so all that in a bag of Doritos. And we're not. We're not. It says he does not value the power of a warrior. He is not impressed. And so the things that we become prideful about don't impress him. 
God does not value pride. He values humbleness. It gives us an example. The Pharisee and the tax collector. Oh wait, did I, I not read that? Verse 11. The, I, sorry, I skipped, I skipped. Verse 11, the Lord values those who fear him, those who put their hope in his faithful love. So let me put those together. He's not impressed by the strength of a horse. He does not value the power of a warrior. But he does value those who fear him and those who put their hope in his faithful love. That is what he values. And that is what we should strive for. Now, if you're, if you're really strong and you're wanting to compete in a strongman competition, I'm not telling you you shouldn't do that, that God's not okay with that. I'm not trying to say that. But regardless of what talents we have, what skills we have, what intellect we have, what money we have, what anything we have, regardless of anything we own and possess or are capable of accomplishing, regardless of any of that, we should value fearing the Lord and his faithful love. That is what we should, we should, we should put our hope and trust in. All right, so it gives us an example of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, he said, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being at the altar and there's this big highfalutin Pharisee beside you and you're a tax collector who has come humbly to the altar and he's loud and proud and says, God, I thank you that I'm not evil, adulterous, or like this tax collector. It'd be hard. It'd be hard to keep worshiping with the right spirit after that. But you know, I hear that all the time. I don't think it's true. Let me just, no, I, I mean, I'm not saying what Jesus said wasn't true. I'm just saying what I'm thinking ahead that I haven't told you yet that I'm about to get to, that part. I don't think that's true. But the, you know what I hear all the time as a pastor? People say they don't like going to church because people are so judgmental. I mean, maybe, maybe a lot of other churches really are that way. I, I doubt it. I think it's a mindset that people have. I think it's something that they think that's not really the case. Are there judgmental people? You better believe there are. Have, I mean, have we all experienced judgment in the church? Yes, we have. But if I were to say, by and large, I think our church is a very welcoming, non-judgmental church. I really do. And most of the churches I've spent time in, I feel the same way. But a lot of people are opposed to the church and the people in the church because they feel they will be judged. And here's what we're talking about. This is what the example Jesus has given, where this Pharisee really is judging this guy. And making no bones about it. Why? Because the Pharisee has no love in his heart for this man. And that, that's what you need. If you're going to be non-judgmental, you've got to have love in your heart. It doesn't mean you don't tell them the truth. 
But it means you're coming from a place of love in which they should be able to see it, whether they accept what you say or not. They should be able to at least perceive that you care and that you love them. As opposed to coming to someone and trying to tell them the truth with no love, that is called judgmental. When you want to tell someone the truth, which is never easy pill to swallow, if you tell it when you don't have a heart of love for that person, that is the definition of judgmental. But if you have love in your heart and it comes across, that's called truth with grace. <clears throat> he says, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. He said, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This reminds me of a story that Ravi told. I don't know if it's true or not, but it gets point across. I can, I, can t- I can tell you that. I don't know if it's true, so it's okay. It's not like I'm lying. But c- he told a story about Muhammad Ali. Who knows Muhammad Ali? Everybody know who Muhammad Ali is? He wasn't exactly known for being humble. Let's just say that. And uh, he said Muhammad Ali uh, had to, was, took a plane trip somewhere one time and, and was on the plane and they were up, you know, 30,000 feet, however high they fly. And uh, they, the, they hit some, some pretty rough turbulence. And so the pilot came on over the intercom speaker system and, and told everybody to fasten their seatbelts. And uh, everybody complied except Muhammad Ali. And so the, the, stu- the plane stewardess come up to him and, and said, uh, Sir, um, we need you to fasten your seatbelt, please. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And, she, and so she responded, Superman don't need no plane neither. <laughs> now, I don't know if it's true or not, but based off of what everyone's heard Muhammad Ali say come from his mouth, he was a very uh, confident, <laughs> prideful, arrogant man when it came to his boasting about his abilities and his strength. And you know, we can all do that, all of us, regardless of, of, of what our situation is. I will never be a boxer. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not tough enough. That's why I never could uh, learn to skateboard very well. Uh, <laughs> I bought a skateboard and uh, didn't like hitting that pavement. And so I said, all right, well, this is for somebody else. <laughs> um, but we all do that. You know, we all have our own gifts and abilities because, I'm telling you, as a child of God, The scripture says that the Holy Spirit gifts each believer as he chooses. And so the Holy Spirit chooses to gift us with abilities that we use through his power. And if not careful, even the great, wonderful gifts of God can become thorns in our side where we become puffed up and proud and arrogant and prideful. So this is, pride is one of these things where I don't know if it was, uh, I can't remember which slide I had up before we started. Um, let, me, let me jump back in case it is, and then I'll try to find my place again. Yes. All right, so 
Augustine of Hippo said this. And this is a long time ago. It's not exactly how we talk today, but you'll, you'll get the idea. Augustine of Hippo said, All other vices are to be apprehended when we are doing wrong, but pride is to be feared even when we do right actions. And I thought that was so important because it's true. All these other sins that we talk about, we know they're wrong. But the danger of pride is it can creep up and we can commit that sin even when we're doing right. Even when we're doing everything right, we can then fall into the trap of pride. And that's so important. All right. So it's, what's important is not what we think, but what God thinks. Second Corinthians ten eighteen says, "For it is not the one commending himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends." And so the reason I just threw this in here was just to just to remind us that you know the things that we approve and and we say these are great does not matter what we think. The only thing that matters is what God thinks. What does God approve? What does God command? What does God say is good and okay? And the only way we can know that is through reading and studying the scriptures. And that's it. That's the only way we can know. Um, and so it's important that we, uh, we all take that advice. Paul's example of not taking pride in who and what we are as humans, but in who and what we are in Christ, uh, is I wanted, to, I wanted to share this with you, Philippians Philippians 3, 1 through 4, 1. While I'm reading this, I just want you to keep in mind, Paul is saying here that he had every reason to boast and be prideful. Paul had everything you could think of as a a Jewish man to be boastful and prideful about. But he chose to consider none of them of value. And so let's follow with me. In addition, my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord to write To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, 
But I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Christ Jesus. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this matter, manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Paul was able to say, a very impressive claim. He was able to make a very impressive claim that we should all strive for. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know, that is what we should all strive for. That we, as Christians, as followers of Christ, can look at anyone and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Most of us would say, no... You probably shouldn't imitate me, but imitate so-and-so. <laughs> but that is our goal. If we can't say that, if we can't say imitate me, when you, when you go to say that, whatever conviction the Holy Spirit brings to your mind about such-and-such, that is the thing we need to be working on next. And we don't need to be living in, in wallowing in self-pity or, or holding ourselves down because Paul also said, he said all these things about how he used to persecute the church. His zeal for the Lord was evidenced by his persecuting the church, persecuting Christians. He said, I forget what lay behind and I press forward. That's what Paul's mindset. That's the only way we can get through this life. Because if we're always thinking about our sins of the past, all it will do is cripple our present and future. That's all it's going to do. We have to know that we have been bought we have been purchased, we have been washed, we have been forgiven. Our sins of the past are sins of the past. And that we must lay forward and move forward in such a way that we will not be ashamed when we tell someone, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That way we won't be ashamed moving forward. And there's no time frame, there's no amount you have to do because you can be Paul all the way up to the day of his conversion and then the day after his conversion, he could say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And you say, well, his whole life is nothing worth imitating. Yeah, but today he got saved. And today he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And tomorrow he's going to imitate Christ. And the next day he's going to imitate Christ. And that is what we must do. And the way we need to do it in the context of this sermon is that we have to lay our pride aside. And we must strive to be humble. And when pride creeps up and wells up inside of us, we've got to lay it aside and say, no, 
Jesus was not prideful. God was not prideful. He gave me an example to live by. He said he, does, he resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 11, 1 says, So whatever you, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. That's what we need to shoot for. So how are we going to do it? Well, put this verse in your back pocket. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. That's a good way to imitate Christ. Right there. That kind of puts a lot of this stuff in the, in the basket. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. You try to live by that every day. You're going to do well. And a final word of encouragement, 1 Peter 5, 5 through 11. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded be alert. Your adversary, the devil. Uh oh. See, your adversary, the devil, doesn't want you to hear what God's trying to tell you. Be sober minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers, believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. I just want to say this. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. In this context, what it means is this little while while you're on earth. In other words, he's not here. He's not promising that you will receive relief from your suffering on this earth. He's not promising that. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we, should take, we, we shouldn't take for granted our blessing because we don't know what suffering is in this country. We, we have no idea. But we have brothers and sisters in Christ who have lived on this planet and are living on this planet who do not get relief from their persecution until they die. We are not promised relief 
happiness, joy, peace. We're not promised those things for this little while we're on earth. Most everyone does get to experience those things, and we should be grateful for those things, but we're not promised those things. But we are promised an eternal glory in Christ where we won't suffer ever again. We won't experience pain ever again. And it's worth any amount of suffering we experience on this earth. It's worth it. Any amount. But he said, he himself, and that's the point I wanted to point out as we close. He himself. He said, well, God will wipe away every tear from from our eyes, right? I picture that as he himself will put his hands on my face one day. Not because I'm pastor. Because I'm his child. Every person. That's the beauty. He's not going to be too busy. That's what I'm trying, you know, that's the point I'm trying to get across here. Is that with the billions of people, you know how many people die every day? Any idea? About 150,000 people die every single day. Every day. I don't know if you bought 24 hours divided by 150,000. I don't really know what that comes out to. But it's a bunch per minute. It's a bunch per minute. And uh, you think, he ain't going to have time to see me personally. That's the beauty of this. He's not restricted by time. He's not restricted by space. He's not restricted by locality. He's not restricted by anything. And that's what's so beautiful about this is that when we finally get to see God, it's not going to be, I'm at the back of the line of 7,000 years of human history and I came in when there were billions of people on the planet, so I got a really long time before I get to meet Jesus. That's not how it's going to work. Well, you say, well, what's he going to do? Is he going to multiply himself like he multiplied the, the loaves and the fish? Maybe. I don't know. I don't have to know. Doesn't matter if I know. Doesn't matter if I can come up with a with an explanation. It doesn't matter if I'm right. Doesn't matter if I'm wrong. All I know is He Himself will meet us. He Himself will wipe the tears from our eyes. And we may be doing it all at the same time. I don't know. He can do that. He's God. And just because you say, "Well, well, I want all of God at one time," well, you probably got a, the wrong heart. <laughs> Because it's like, I'll close with this. Uh, Louis Giglio gave an example. I know I've shared it a few years ago. He had a, a, a bottle, like a, like a water bottle, plastic bottle. He had a plastic bottle with water in it up on, up on stage. And he said, anybody know what this is? And people started shouting out what they thought it was. Water or, you know, H2O. They started naming it because he just kept waiting. He's like, not quite. Not quite. Close. Not quite. He said, you're close. What? Anybody know what this is? And eventually nobody could guess it. I, I don't think anybody guessed it. He finally said, this right here is the Chattahoochee River. And they were all like, wow, looks a lot cleaner than I thought. <laughs> he said, this is the Chattahoochee River. So, so let's just imagine this is Tobler Creek in this, in this glass right here. It's not. But just imagine, this is Tobler Creek in here, okay? This is not all of Tobler Creek, would it? But this is all Tobler Creek. 
that was the point he was making. He said, when you have the Holy Spirit in you, you don't have all of God in you because you'd blow up. But what you have in you is all God. And it's not a less powerful version of God. It's not a less wise version of God. It's not a version of God that's a tool that you have to learn how to use. It's all God. All as much of God as you can think lives in you through the Holy Spirit. And when you come face to face with Jesus, even if Jesus is meeting face to face with six million other people at the same time, you're going to be face to face with all Jesus. Every bit of him. Not a less powerful version of him. Not a less wise or a less loving version of him. It's going to be 100% Jesus. I don't have to know how it's going to work. I just know scripture says it's going to work. And I put confidence in that. And I look forward to that. And it gives me hope for this life. This life is hard. We haven't even experienced hard yet. But there are times when we will lose someone we love. That's probably the hardest thing that we encounter in this life. But we have hope. We have hope like nobody else has hope. And we need to do all we can to imitate Christ so that people experience Christ. Because if somebody's lost, there's a 99.999999% chance they are not reading this book, have no desire to read this book, and therefore are not encountering Christ on the pages of this book. But they are meeting you and they are encountering you. And so we must imitate Christ. And we must lay our pride aside. And I'm telling you, if, if the, the one thing that we can do that makes the biggest difference is to, to pray for God, if we don't have one, to pray for God to give us a heart of love for people. Because a heart of love for people will, will give us, that love will give us the strength we need to put our pride aside and to be humble with those people. To lay our pride aside so that they see a humble version, a humble imitation of Christ. I don't know if that's okay to say, but I, I don't think it's, I think it's okay. I'm an, an imitation of Christ. I, I think that's the only good imitation there is. Love from our hearts for people is what we need to lay our pride aside, to be humble, and to imitate Christ well. Let's pray together. Father, it's one thing to read commands, but it's a whole nother thing to see it. You've given us commands to love, to be humble, to not be proud. You've given us those commands from the very beginning of Genesis. But as we see the scriptures unfold, we see you live it over and over and over and over and over again. And to see you actually live it changes how, we've, how we see it, how we view it. Father, help us to live like you. Help us to love like you. 
Help us to lay our pride aside and to live humble lives before you, not caring if anybody ever knows of any good thing we ever do because we're not doing it for the praise of others. We're doing it to be like you. Help us to imitate you well. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. If you would, please stand and join us for this last song. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, all we want is you. And Father, we're thankful that you want us. Father, that you wanted us so much that you were willing to leave your throne, come to this earth, suffer and die for us so that we would have an atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we could be forgiven and live with you for all of eternity as a family. And Father, we thank you for that love. And Father, I pray that you grow that love in our hearts for you, for each other, and for the world. And that you would help us to be perfect imitations of you. That you would work through the Holy Spirit on those that we have come in contact with. That you would draw them to yourself. And that you would use us as your children and as ambassadors for Christ. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen.